This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new, unparalleled, something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first ever Moonshot Patreon drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April and you'll get a bunch of drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows like Three Little Words and Kahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, as usual, it's fuck. We're reading The House of Hades. How you doing today, Jane? It's fuck. It's fuck. I guess so. I guess I I can't argue with that. We're reading the special fuck book. <laughs> when, will, when will we read a book where Rick Riordan puts an explicit sex scene in it? Probably one of the Trey's Navarre ones. Probably. I sneak preview for the next one, but there's an almost explicit one that doesn't quite get explicit. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I use fuck book here in the sort of Etoian sense of uh, like fuck toast, if anyone knows about fuck toast. Uh, what am I saying? Good question. I can't figure it out. I'm fine. I'm, I seem to be doing better than you from the sounds of things. I'm doing just fine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm truly living in my era. Certainly an era. An era. Jane, we read some chapters today. There's no news, I don't think. Should I just get straight into the summaries? Well, let's check. Hang on, because the last time... we There was one time where the news was that one of the cast members for the TV show died, and we didn't cover it for like a week. So let me just check real quick. This is from five hours ago. Percy Jackson's Timothy Omundson praises feature film quality of Disney Plus series. No, this is this is guff. This is nothing. Okay, yeah, there's no news. Okay, so I'll I'll get straight into the summaries in that case. Let's go. Chapter thirty nine. Annabeth inside of the good giant. Excuse me. <laughs> inside of Domison's home, Annabeth goads the good giant into curing Percy of the Gorgon's blood. As payment, he asks for a story, so she tells him about their journey up to the present. When they get to the part where Gaia shows up, Domison talks about how he has a pretty shaky relationship with her and his dad Tartarus. He's the anti-Ares, making him peaceful and good-hearted, but after slaying the Dracon in revenge for it killing his mortal friend, he was sentenced to a life in Tartarus, killing the same Dracon every single day. Annabeth asks him to come with them to the doors of death at the heart of Tartarus, but he says he's unable to leave as he can't even imagine anything else by this point. 
He's also skeptical of Bob's plan to use death mist to progress, although he also says it's definitely the only way. She pleads with him to come with them and tr to try to break the curse anyway, but he simply bids her to sleep and recover. Chapter 40, Annabeth. Annabeth wakes up to hear Damason and Bob talking privately about struggling with their fate, about how they both just want to see the sun and the stars again. Percy wakes up not too long after, and Damason's prepared supplies for the journey. That's when Annabeth has a realization. The foes bearing arms to the doors of death that the prophecy speaks of are the demigods, titans, and giants, not the Greeks and the Romans. Damason needs to come with them. He's still convinced that he can't break the curse, but Annabeth tells him that now he has something else to picture other than the same fate. Her face. When he's ready, he can come find her, and they'll help him break that fate. As Polybides and his cadre continue to gain ground, Damason gives Annabeth one last gift, a blade of dragon bone. He urges them to leave, and they make a run for it into the swamp, while Damason returns to kill the dracon once more. Chapter 41, Piper. On the Argo 2's journey through the Mediterranean, the weather begins to turn cold. Hazel and Frank go to get seasick downstairs, and Nico follows, since he thinks Diocletian's scepter might be the thing causing the temperature drop. Piper, Jason, and Leo are left on the quarterdeck, and Piper considers how they've each grown into their own since the quest to rescue Hera. She then admits an idea she's had about the prophecy. To storm or fire, the world must fall, which likely refers to Jason and Leo, might actually mean that one of them will kill Gaia, aka the world. But the third line, about an oath to keep with a final breath, may mean the other will die. Chapter 42, Piper. The Lost Hero Trio try to move on from the thought of certain doom, but a different doom is just over the horizon. Piper realizes too late that the sudden cold is because their old foe Kyanie, goddess of snow, and her brothers have arrived. They freeze the ship, Jason, and the entirety of the lower deck, then use a snow funnel to throw Leo right off the ship, leaving Piper to face them alone. Chapter 43, Piper. Piper's in a bad spot. Boreas, caught up in the fight between his aspects, has been incapacitated, leaving Kyanie in charge. And somewhere along the way, allegiance got sworn to Gaia. When the Earth has been reclaimed, they plan on turning the rules of nature upside down so they can have winter whenever and wherever they want, just like now. Kyanie will get Jason as a prized statue, and Zethes will get Piper to himself. They've even brought a bomb full of winds on board for the extra surety of blowing the Argo 2 so far off course that it can never reach its destination in time. Where did Leo go? Kyanie sent him somewhere he can never return from as a special punishment. Plus, fire would be super effective against both her and the giant Clytius. Having been reminded of the concept of fire, Piper figures her best move is to get Festus back online so it can use its fire breath. She channels both Annabeth and all the mean girls who have ever bullied her into a stalling tactic. She laughs at Kyanie, pretending to have a secret power that hasn't been accounted for, and uses that to get past them and closer to the prow. Chapter 44, Piper. Piper pushes past the Boreids, and then puts her full strategy into motion. She recalls a conversation with Hazel, where Hazel brought up the lessons she learned about using the mist, which makes Piper realize her charm speak would work even better if she was trying to convince people of things they already wanted to do. She applies that by stirring up some sibling conflict between the children of Boreas, even managing to get Zethes to put the bomb down. That causes enough confusion for Piper to have the moment she needs to charm speak Festus. Her words act on reality itself, tapping into an ancient force, and bring Festus to life. He vaporizes the Boreids, and when Kyanie attacks Piper, Piper drives her knife right to Kyanie's chest. The snow goddess explodes into a blizzard, but the problem isn't solved yet. 
the bomb was activated. Just as she grabs it, it explodes into wind. So Jane, what do you think of these chapters? These these were good chapters, I think. I think we were we were complaining, I think, like maybe two episodes ago about how it didn't feel like Piper had enough to do. Uh-huh. So uh glad that's been addressed. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm gonna make a bold claim. Go for it. I think the chapters in this book only are getting better. I think these are like some of the best ones we've read so far. I think that's broadly true. I think we haven't really talked about the quality of the book so far the way we have for the other Heroes of Olympus ones, but I think this one's been like really solid. Yeah, I think sometimes we've talked about this on the show before. We have a habit of falling into uh just being like, well the book's basically done. Let's talk about the quality of it. We understand the whole thing. Uh <laughs> when we are like kind of bored of it, not or like either bored or like in a in a doldrum of sorts. We we, we tend to what what's the term you use? autopsy yeah we would do an autopsy earlier we would do like a, we would start doing a retrospective before, that's we, we would do a retrospective before we didn't finish it is what we would do yeah if we're bored we just kind of start ripping into the thing as a whole whereas if we're enjoying it we tend to just kind of take it as it comes yeah and i think that's kind of been the state of the book so far it's been really enjoyable mm. and i would i would say like if we're doing a halfway point check-in which is where we're at right now i think uh, oh, damn it is i i think this is maybe just my favorite book so far of the heroes of olympus i'd agree with that i think i mean we can't quite judge yet i think i like mark of athena a lot for its finale and we haven't gone to this one's finale yet yeah yeah the opener though is very strong and these chapters yeah. are very strong yeah i would say let's talk about the shorter part first but actually i have a lot to say about the annabeth bits thankfully annabeth isn't a footnote this week <laughs> yeah which you know the, the <laughs> The method, the, the the format constrains things sometimes, but uh-huh. I, I don't remember if I said this or not last time, but I had the note prepared. I was like, oh, like Domison inviting them over for dinner. This is very like Lord of the Ringsy. You did say this. Yeah, it's an incredibly classic adventure story thing, and it mm-hmm. I think this fully delivered. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This This feels like just... A, a nice rest stop for our heroes and also a perfect excuse to do a clip show episode it was a little bit of a clip show we're getting a lot of <laughs> clip shows recently we got a clip show of nico we got a clip show here we got one basically for the first few tartarus chapters i maybe maybe just like becoming more like an anime is what's making this book better <laughs> it's very possible we must have talked about this before. Do you think Rick Ryden watches anime? Uh, JoJo's and not much else. Probably, yeah. I'm sure he's watched, like, I don't know. I'm sure he's, like, watched anime with his kids, right? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Because the, the fucking Son of Magic felt like it was written by someone who watches a lot of anime. <laughs> yeah, someone who watches a lot of anime, plays a lot of MMOs. I, I'm sure Rick Ryden knows about Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. Almost certainly. I think, do you think he's been made to watch Bleach? Because I know that's also on Disney+. Plus. Oh, oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to brand synergize the Percy Jackson show with it. I like this idea that if you are creating something that's going to be on Disney+, Plus, you have to, like, you have to watch everything that's on Disney+. Plus. What a horrible fate. Yeah, it's really fucked up. You have to sit through all of the Book of Boba Fett, and that's the worst thing that can happen to you. <laughs> Oh god. Also probably all the old racist stuff. Probably, right? And the new racist it's... stuff. We we need to put the Kane Chronicles into the Riordan vault. 
<laughs> God, has there been any more news about like the Netflix adaptation? We should know this. We're the fucking riding podcasters. I don't think. I think there was a a relatively recent, like in the past year, update. Like, yep, these movies are still being made. I I googled it. The top news result is an article titled "The Kane Chronicles," which seems to be about a guy in the NHL called Kane being sold. Oh. So that's how that's going. It's not good to sell people. And <laughs> uh, however, Rick Riordan has really sold me on the character of Thomas. Hey, here. he has. This is the, the Giants have been going from strength to strength lately. Yeah, they have. I, I think Domison is like a really unique type of character. Uh, like we just haven't gotten a guy like this before in the series, really. Mm-hmm. He's like, he has such a particular voice uh that that like for instance when we get the conversation between him and bob it just feels like completely unlike anything else i've read in the series no yeah for sure that, that little eavesdrop is really cool because uh, they're both can i kind of just go back to what you were saying about the um lord of the rings thing they both talk like characters out of a fantasy novel because they are from like the fantasy half of this urban fantasy series so they're kind of talking in this kind of almost kind of heady way about like, oh, I missed the sight of the stars and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I want to I, I noticed something here that I think might be important uh, just for the broader Riordan verse, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, I Yeah, I thought this was really effective too. like Bob, like like asking Thomason if he remembers what the sun and the stars look like and uh, like Thomason giving these really like general answers that make it clear that he really does not but the the phrase the sun and the stars kept coming up and i was like where does, oh yeah where have, I heard, where have i heard that before and i was like oh that's what the nico book is called so i this is going to be some sort of through line probably well, maybe bob shows up in that because we know he's mates with nico oh you're right i yeah I, I i hope that's how it goes i want i want the nico and bob book <laughs> There's a lot going on here with Donovan. You're right that he feels like a character out of a fa- out of like a out of a fantasy novel. He has this like quiet majesty uh, that is uh, sort of silenced by just the environment he is in. Like the fact that he is in Tartarus. The fact that he is Rick Riordan is really going going whole hog here with the <laughs> the the difficulty of parent child relationships when you, like pointing out the like oh yeah Domison and his parents are the earth and all of the under like the all of Tartarus it, it's really blowing things up here but yeah i mean he it literally says like how can you get out how can you move away from them when they are literally everywhere <laughs> and that's that's fun having that slightly different perspective i think he's also like the first one of these giants that i think Riordan has sold is like really impressive like yeah the fact that he's so restrained feel makes him feel like powerful in a way that the others didn't because the others were like either big shouty guys which were kind of boring or the uh anti-Bacchuses from last book who were like they they were good villains but they were jokes basically yes then this guy kind of sells that intimidation factor in a way that none of the others have there's a few things that add up to him being intimidating for me. Uh, one of which is I, I I think like he's more mythological than any of the mm. other giants we've had. Uh, he is like just this old, large man living in a hut 
who every day has to go and kill the same monster that slew his friend. Like, that is, that is, that is a myth right there. That is a story. That is some uh, Sisyphus bullshit. Yes, yes it is. And the, we're introduced to him at the beginning of that story. He plays it out, he kills the Dracon, and then he is just kind of a normal guy. But then we see, like, we complete the cycle and he goes back to do it again. I I think getting getting a giant to be really feel mythological and not just like I don't know the the third boss in God of War or whatever. <laughs> I I think that's what does it for me. Yeah, I think that that definitely helps because the again to go back to the other ones, they were all either like they're just at the head of a big monster army or they are planning a big stupid party. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's part of what makes him and Bob's conversations stick out so much too. Like mm. we, we are getting a look at this character who is outside of the demigod perspective. Uh, he, he lives in Tartarus, which is completely outside of the purview of demigods. And like, we, we get to have our conversation between these two and these two like beings who are like, who are having just, they are on their own level, and we've seen Titans talk to each other before. We've seen Giants talk to each other before. But when that happened, it was always like, prepare for battle, like, fortify the defenses. It was that shit. Yeah, they, they are only ever doing villain dialogue to each other. They are never being characters in the way that they are here. Yeah, and I, I, I really appreciate this chapter for that. I think it's one of my favorites. And it helps to, like, deliver on um kind of what we were talking about um a lot earlier on in this book which is like the humanization of a lot of the villains yes like giving these two some space to just like talk about their perspectives on life like it it makes iapetus slash bob feel more like a person than an obstacle and the same goes for um damasin <laughs> completely agreed uh <laughs> um anava speaking of kind of speaking of nico anava is mean as hell to him here <laughs> <laughs> look she's in a stressful situation she is everyone's everyone's clowning on nico in these chapters leo does it later and jason's like hey man back off nico and piper's like what the fuck why, why does he care <laughs> uh and annabeth is like i don't she just like i think she like calls him a little twerp or something like that what what is it exactly does she she's not she doesn't call him a twerp that's like a percy thing but uh I, I think she's just like, ah, oh, Nico. He's always so... Are you talking about Nico was one of the least outgoing, least friendly demigods Annabeth knew? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> it's like, I guess that's true, but damn. So that's a hell of a way to phrase it. You could at least be diplomatic and just call him antisocial. Yeah. Nico is one of the most guys that suck I've ever seen. <laughs> I can't believe he has a crush on me. That's so weird of him. Annabeth is Annabeth is a bit mean. It's it's fine. She can be a bit mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I think there is maybe not confirmation, but I'm I'm it, some sections here lending credence to your theory that uh, the person Bob is leading them to is Nix. Oh yeah, yeah. I think they they call her um, knight. They call or her something. knight. Yeah, with an N and not a K. Be, would be cool if she was a knight with a K also. That would be very cool if she has like shadow armor or something. That would really make this a proper Dark Souls game. <laughs> Listen, we got the the weird cosmic horror shit. We could do it. We could, yeah. I, I think my last thing I really have to say about these chapters is just like, Domison, 
specifically the idea that he needs to break out of the cycle that he is trapped in his own fate like he but he is the one who needs to like that he with a bit of help from his friends needs to like break out and fully like lead a new life really like I, this is a this is a theme that really works for me. It works in a lot of my favorite media, mm-hmm. uh, but connecting it specifically to like the Ryanverse as a whole, to the PJO series, which is all about sort of like PJO is all about fate in a speci- very specific way, and Heroes of Olympus is as well. Yeah. I, I'm interested in how how the idea that you need to like discard that uh, I guess connects there, you know. It's, it's kind of fucked because uh, what he learns is that he needs to discard this fate and then uh, take up a different fate, which is the Prophecy of the Seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of pondering of the prophecy here. People are pon- pondering uh, uh, quite a bit. People are doing our Prophecy Prediction Corner in the book. They are. They are. And I, I, I'm glad that they're still interrogating it because I think it's... They never really did in like PJO because that was just Percy and he was just he doesn't think about shit. And it was dropped in at the end, basically uh, for Rick Ryden to ensure that he still has a paycheck next month. Right, right. Uh, but now that we've just had this sitting around for a few years, it makes sense that the characters would like talk about it and think about yeah. it. Uh, so how do you feel about this? Like, I guess Annabeth's realization or idea that the the titans the demigods and the giants will need to work together in the end i like it i'm always a fan of uh when rick decides to like complicate the like good evil binary that's set up in these books it's always Mm -hmm. it's always good and fun when he does that agreed agreed so let's let's turn turn as above so below people are also i guess as below so above uh up top side up in the the world of the living uh, Piper is contemplating some prophecies as well. They are all pondering. They are all rotating the prophecy in their minds. Actually, that's not true. Fucking Leo and Jason are not thinking about it at all. They are very much like, ah, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it says that one of them died. Nah, it's probably all right. It'll be okay. Basically, like, Piper... This is another, like, complication. I get, like, it seems like it's going to be like, oh, actually, everything is fine. Uh, and then Piper sort of being like, well, pr- one of us will probably die. Uh, it, it, it complicates things. I, did we make this read like to storm or fire the world must fall? I feel like we must have. I don't know. To, to, to my recollection, what I, what I've thought about this is that it's the gesturing it being either Jason or Leo for this was probably just going to be bullshit. <laughs> it would end up just being a villain who has storm or fire powers. Right, yeah, but we've we've turned that on its head, and yeah, the world is Gaia makes makes sense. That is literally mm. true. It would make sense for either of them to kill her because they both are very tied up in Gaia. <laughs> yeah, no, they've both got. Well, I guess I I think it would be cooler if Leo killed her. Yeah, I think Leo has more of a personal beef. Yeah, Jason's beef is mostly kind of like, I guess he has more of a Hera beef. I guess. Hmm. You should a kill Hera. Bit. Yeah, they should kill Hera. They should. <laughs> hey, have we should make like a series where they kill all the gods. They should do that. Piper, Piper is saying in these chapters, like, uh, well, it, you know, living for three thousand years would probably drive you insane, and she's right. So it'd be a mercy to kill them. 
Now, Jane, I I super don't want to pick your wording over, but I don't think we should say on our podcast that if people are insane, you should kill them. <laughs> You're right. Let me rephrase that. The the gods are weird and corrupt and not fit to rule. That's right, and Let's so they them. should be killed. So we should kill them. Yeah. Just to clarify, stand up on wise girls. If you're weird and corrupt and unfit to rule, well, anyway. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I, Leo is probably the more, the more likely one in that case. Do you, do you buy this idea that that means the other other than will die? Like, I guess Jason in that case. I don't know if I buy it, but I hope it happens. Not because I particularly dislike Jason, just because I. It's a, again, we've talked about this before. Sometimes these books have a problem of just not following through on threats they make. And it kind of makes yeah. it difficult to take the stakes seriously. Yeah. There was a lot of death in, like, the Battle of Manhattan, but there mm-hmm. was no, like, AO3 tag major character death, right? I, Puss Silena Beauregard, erased from your memory. <laughs> I, I love Silena. She was a minor character. No, that's true. <laughs> she she was a minor character death. It's, it's very sad, but true. Okay, fine. Um, Luke Erasure. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess Luke <laughs> did die. That is very much a thing that happened at the end there. Uh, and He was asking for it, though. He was. <laughs> and Jason, I guess Jason is kind of a Luke. We've talked about this. He he does look a lot like Luke. Yeah, the description of him here actually sort of did remind me of Luke. Uh, that he is like, he's like grown a bit more like rugged but also like wind wind sheared and like he has like the line in his hair and he's a bit scarred up and it's like huh mm. that he's a bit lukey now <laughs> i feel like i feel like this is this is your version of my thing where i think that everything is chronos because you said this about octavian as well they are both a bit lukey luke is an easy <laughs> luke is an we're easy also saying good... that percy was being lukeified yes luke is a good <laughs> character who is like he is easy to parallel people with and important because he's one of the most important characters in the entire series. This is true. Like thematically. Uh, so I, I, I think a lot, a lot of characters are going to be Lukey, Luke-esque, hmm. Lukeified. Hazel Luke-esque. <laughs> Hazel uh, It's actually <laughs> pronounced Hazel Lukek. I didn't get the joke. Her last name was Levesque. I thought it was Levesque. No, it's Lovac. That's how you pronounce it. Oh, is the S silent? Yes. Ah. Fucking the Louisiana Purchase strikes again. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, hey, spe- speaking of Hazel, though, I... You know how we were complaining about, like, oh, Piper and Hazel never get to interact? Oh yeah, Rick Ryden has said, no, no, that's fine. Uh, I wrote in these three paragraphs that they interacted. Yeah, don't worry. They have been such good friends uh, right off screen, like right to the right of the camera. They have been, <laughs> they've been ra- interacting basically all the time. You didn't realize? They are, they are the best of pals. Will I show you any of this? No. No. Could this I... maybe be an opportunity when they're being attacked to like show off their friendship by making them do like a cool group battle together? Also, no, shut up. Yeah, like what is said of their friendship here, and like what, like how Piper later applies Hazel's missed ideas. I guess I do like that, but I yeah. am not. I'm not super impressed by the like you said three paragraphs of oh we've had a relationship. No, you haven't. 
All I'm saying is that the Coach Hedge pregnancy shit could have been cut for this. It could have. Also, I my brain misfired for a second, and <laughs> now I'm imagining Coach Hedge getting pregnant, so thank you. <laughs> you know that's what? True. Good for him. Good for him. Maybe, I, <laughs> I mean, that would explain why he's in so much distress. I guess so. He doesn't so. want to have a baby on this warship. Yeah. And Melly is Melly is consoling him back home. You know she dicked him down hard, but now <laughs> now they they have to live with the consequences. You know sometimes I worry that I say stuff on here that's a bit beyond the pale, and then you come out with something like that, and I realize no, this is fine. This is the level we both operate at. <laughs> I'm like sorry. I feel like I've been worse recently. <laughs> I don't know why. I feel like you've been better recently. Thank you. <laughs> Apparently he is watching Chuck Norris videos in there. Oh yeah, Piper comments on that. Is that a thing that people did even when that was a relevant meme? They would watch like just videos of Chuck Norris doing stuff? I guess so. I mean like people nowadays will watch like, oh, compilation of best like Bruce Lee moments, right? And I feel like people really did think Chuck Norris is like the white Bruce Lee. (laughs) When we all know that the white Bruce Lee is really Coach Hedge. Are satyrs white? The the longest thread in the and Grover we know in the books is white, and that was a mistake. Probably. Does Grover have white privilege? Do satyrs? How does the how does privilege work in the like? How does that intersect with godliness and like immortality? The fawns don't seem to not have any privilege. No, that's true. But the the satyrs get to have a council. I I wonder. I hope this is what the TV show is about. I hope the TV show just goes really in depth on. <laughs> They're updating it for a modern audience. What if this like really sucks? And like, do you remember when like they made a Heather's reboot for TV a while back? And oh yeah, and like, it was about how the Heather's were woke, and that was why they were bad. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, like, Clarice is going to be, like, the woke bully and going to tell Percy, like, check your privilege? I I hope so, because I think that would only make us love her more. I think so. I do think so. <laughs> so, Kyanie is back. Kyanie is, is finally back. I think we've been predicting this on and off for, like, two books now. Yeah, I think so. Wait, no, I remember specifically what it was, because they were, like, the... the... The, the gold things that were possessing them gave them like a weird chill on the back of their necks and we were like oh shit it's Kyanie it's her revenge but no her revenge is much more straightforward than that <laughs> her revenge is to just show up and kill everyone that's a pretty pretty good strategy more people should try that they usually <laughs> wait for them to come to them uh, which isn't as good she's very proactive and I appreciate that about her we've got proactive female characters in this series uh <laughs> I love just like this implication that so much shit has happened in the past like seven months that like Boreas the, I I don't believe for a second that Boreas is the one who said who swore allegiance to Gaia no Kyanie absolutely waited until he was incapacitated and then went and swore allegiance to her yeah it's very much like oh well you know he swore allegiance because i was acting in his stead and you know i'm uh. basically him right now i'm i'm kind of like the ruler of us all you know i i'm the ruler of the north uh, i mean who's gonna stop me my dipshit brothers they certainly won't uh <laughs> the hockey player who is con- continues to just kind of be nothing and yep. zethes who has fully transformed into as rick riordan puts it the 
like the demigod of pickup artists. <laughs> I I don't think Rick Riordan understands what a pickup artist is. I think I, here's my theory. I think Rick Riordan accidentally wrote a very good example of what a pickup artist is like. Mm-hmm. But did not mean to. Because what he has Piper say here is that Zethes is like acting like the god of pickup artists. And uh-huh. I I think what like or like thinks he's the god of pickup artists. I think what Rick Riordan is getting at here is like he's acting like he's really good at like really good at like romancing women. Rick Riordan just buys into like the the popular conception of a pickup artist as a guy who's good at dating people. Yeah, instead of what he's accidentally very accurately drawn out is the people who consider themselves pickup artists are dweebs and losers. Like you can tell that um, uh, this guy has like run every line that he uses on Piper past a bunch of his uh, his male friends on a subreddit. God, yeah, he and the lines he uses are not very good. This whole thing kind of is it's it's very creepy. He, if if they win, Zethes will receive Piper as a reward. Piper is always being like weirdly objectified in these books, and always fucking. I I appreciate that she always kind of gets herself out of it, and usually kills the person who was doing it. She's done this to um. There was the the bull guy from last book. The bull guy is like the big example, mm-hmm. uh, but but there's been a few other times as well, uh, and Piper just continuing to be very very cool. I I like I like where we're going here with like charm speak being kind of like the mist. Yeah, that's very cool. It just it, it ties it ties like the way the magic works together in a very satisfying way. Definitely right. Like it brings it makes it. It makes it feel like these aren't two like entirely disconnected things, but just sort of an aspect of a whole. I wonder if it'll turn out that this is girl magic. I mean, I mean, it's charm speak, right? Which... Other... Oh no, I meant I meant more like the broader mist manipulation charm speak. Because the only other people we've seen do it are uh, Thalia and Annabeth. Ugh. I in Son of Magic, he used the mist. Oh no, you're right. You're right. But I I get what you're saying, and I do think like from everything written by Rick Riordan, that does kind of have the the stench of girl <laughs> magic. <laughs> by the way, the stench of girl magic, my new fantasy epic coming uh, coming this winter. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'd read that. <laughs> no, you know um, what? I I hope that Rick tries to debunk this by uh, letting Frank uh, manipulate the mist and just turning us absolutely feral as we add more to the corkboard of Frank is trans. God, absolutely. <laughs> you love to see it. That does have, like, the slight vibes of, like, you know, the million fanfics where it's like, and one day, one day, Harry wa- Harry had to return Hermione's pocket watch, so he walked up the stairs and they didn't they didn't slide him down, so he, the, the, the millions of fanfics <laughs> like that that exist... <laughs> Which is why I think Rick Ryden would totally do it. I do think so. <laughs> Leo. He's somewhere. Leo is just deleted from reality, I guess. I guess so. R.I.P. Leo, I guess. I liked him, but... I mean, at first it seems like he was just straight up killed. Like, he's thrown <laughs> off of the ship while it's in midair. Which, yeah, no, that's that's fucked. Bye, Leo. Yeah, I. do you have any theories as to where he went? be really funny if you ended up in Tartarus. 
I that would be really good, especially since. But I I'm trying to think. Kaini says like to a place where nobody can escape from, and so I'm, I'm I'm considering the options. Right, I'm considering Uh-oh. like, uh huh. Hey, you know who else is stuck in an inescapable location and uh-huh. who came up again late earlier this book? Hey, you know who has a pre-existing relationship with Hephaestus established? <laughs> I I think we oh, might be going fuck. back. We gotta go back. What if what if we get there and Calypso is just like, fuck you, fuck all of you. I hate. <laughs> I, I'm so mad right now because Percy wouldn't date me. <laughs> I'm evil now. Actually, it turned it turned me evil. Titans we, can't be good. Titans can't be good. Biologically, we are evil. <laughs> Though I'm, I if that is the case, I'd be really excited for that. Yeah, definitely. I we 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 love Calypso. Where Calypso stands on this podcast, I think we it'd be very very cool to see her again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking broadly about the magic here, uh, we we get Piper using her magic not just to, not just to like, charm speak the the boreads and all that, but to sort of charm speak reality itself. Which is. This this kind of thing is total horseshit, and I love it every single time that whoever's writing the magic system pulls it. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, this is a slightly weirdly over-literal way to interpret this character's powers as, like, being able to charm-speak reality, but it's cool, so fuck it. When I was a kid, a series about magical children that I would pick up uh, was Young Wizards by, I believe, Diane Duane? I don't quite remember off the top of my head. But it was about a like a, a like some children in an urban fantasy setting uh who found a book of wizardry and learned to like speak to reality itself to do magic and this really uh i i really got vibes of that from here uh it's i think it's just a cool idea like if you speak to the world it can mend like it, it will change itself for you yeah and especially because like the way it's justified is the uh it's, it kind of uh, carries on some of the stuff we saw in the Nico chapters where Piper is like, well, love is not technically about like rationality and facts. It's about kind of emotions influencing the world around you. And she's doing that very literally here. Yeah, it's a deeper force than all that. And, and Aphrodite is the sort of primordial she's a primordial goddess in a lot of ways i still can't uh, believe that we had the fucking a, a child of the eldest gods and nobody assumed it would be a child of aphrodite yeah they are not such the a eldest. weird oversight yeah it fucking silena beauregard should have been the uh, <laughs> i don't know it's it's yeah they forgot rick riordan forgore <laughs> until now at which at, at which point he remember because it was convenient for this the the episode chapter fuck my brain is scrambled i've noticed (laughs) you take over the episode then why don't you uh okay let's look at my extensive notes that i wrote in bonus before we started (laughs) the only note that i haven't read yet just says "Uh uh-oh what was your uh uh-oh about uh just the the bomb going off at the end of the chapters this is a fucked up plan yeah which is they're gonna freeze everyone except for piper who they're gonna stick on a boat in the middle of nowhere with no way to sail it and let her watch the world end. It's very fucked up. Piper is the most... We talk about... our In our Discord, uh, I believe it was Danny who uh, who said that, like, Leo is el muchacho de los ojos tristes. Piper is like that, but a girl. We have, like, the mentally ill crew from the Lost Hero. 
she keeps talking about like how her dark thoughts are like shaping her worldview and like it's she's so like bad brained i guess doom scrolling on that fucking knife she has the fucking item that gives you brain that that gives you psychic damage this is the fucking this the fucking tweet that was like yes me i would i would simply not hold the corrupt fantasy artifact you idiot me taking psychic down from staring at Twitter for twenty three hours a day. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh. Yes, exactly. How do you log off from Catoptris? I you just don't... throw it into the sea. I guess so. I mean, I don't think it's like <laughs> Riptide. I don't think it comes back to you. Exactly. And like, she can get another knife. She has a sword here now that she could get. Yeah. She has fucking Zethi's sword, I think, or maybe it was the other one, Calias's. I don't remember. One of their swords stayed behind for the, the the just like the text explicitly is like for some reason the, the sword didn't get burned up so I guess it's probably going to be important at some point. Probably. Did we talk about Annabeth's new sword? We did not talk extensively about Annabeth's new sword, but she has one. She does. It's a it's it's made of bone. It's a big sword. It's made I think of that's dragon bone. That's the coolest thing a sword could be made of. Yeah, it is. Like, fuck celestial bronze, fuck <laughs> imperial gold, dragon bone. We need more dragon bone weapons than Percy Jackson. It's true. Man, Annabeth could just, like, kill someone with that thing. She could kill any. She could She could have killed those teenagers and the lightning thief with us. <laughs> <laughs> it's still, it, will, it will forever be funny to me that Percy tried to do that. <laughs> He was acting on instinct. It's castle law. <laughs> castle law? Do you not know about castle law? I don't. Castle doctrine basically says... The, the, the idea that it's used for is that if someone walks onto your property, uh, you are legally within your rights to just like shoot them dead, to fill them full of holes, do whatever you want to them. Interesting. It's most commonly talked about in the United States. Or I assume it's just used as a defense for murdering people. Yes, yes. All the time. Constantly. So I'm sure Percy has some sort of castle law. If you are walking a place and someone approaches you, that's like castle law. That's like your castle. <laughs> Do you have much else to say about these chapters? I don't think so. I think... Yeah. I think. It's a low-energy episode this week. We we, we read... I, I just want to say, though, that these were really good chapters. Like... Um, <laughs> we may be selling them short a little bit. Yeah, we might be. I I would say like if you're not reading, if you like if you want to read along at all, I think this is the book to read, right? Uh, like I mm. think it's like this Mark of Athena, Son of Neptune was a big drop. Oh God, yeah. I really do think like these ones are good. Like the series is good. Yeah, Lost Hero is all right. Yeah. I'm glad it's not another Kane Chronicles. I'm also glad. <laughs> as entertaining as that train wreck was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There were definitely just like whole stretches of episodes in Kane Chronicles where you're like, fuck this. This sucks. Yeah, that's it. Next episode. Uh, this Percy Jackson character is not Sushet. Let's do that. There's a line in here about where Piper is like, uh, Piper is like, Charmspeak can only work on people who, uh, are attracted to you and specifically is like and i know that kyanie is not attracted to me so <laughs> i 
I guess this is a this character. We've got a this Percy Jackson character is cishet in Kaimi. <laughs> Thank God, finally some heterosexual representation. <laughs> or at least she doesn't like Piper. That's Presumably, true. Maybe Piper's just not her type. I guess maybe not. She, I, we know that she's fa- fairly heterosexual toward Jason. That's true. That's true. Wait, no, was it not Leo that she was heterosexual towards? It was. I think it was like both of them. Like she had a mm. crush on. She was like, "Ooh, these." handsome boys and then leo made a quip made a quip at her about her being hot and so she was like actually fuck you forever fuck your entire life (laughs) i'm sending you to the fucking deletion zone (laughs) it's really funny to remember that that's where that's all that's where it's really funny to remember that that's where it all started it really is uh here you you do one while i think of a real character though fuck uh guess we could do coach hedge could do coach hedge canonically mpreg canonically <laughs> coach hedge trans man that's pretty cool <laughs> i sure i guess that's my submission that would we would stop calling coach hedge a waste of space on the boat if he was a trans man that's true i <laughs> yeah yeah that's that that is i, I would stop doing that <laughs> I don't know. The problem is that these chapters are almost entirely established characters. This is this is we've got to keep the energy up. We've got to keep interpreting harder. We've got to we've got to keep reaching down further and further into these characters and pull out the not so sadness of them. Damason has a terrible relationship with his parents, but also still has to live with them, which I think is a very not so sad thing to happen. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. Our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find that at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at UnwiseGirls, where we've got links to our Discord, our emails, our social medias, live updates on episodes coming out, as well as visual companions sometimes. If you want to support us, you can go and leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us, or you can dash on over to a little patreon.com where for just a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. We're, uh, we're running a contest with our bonus content now, uh, where if you... If you can find the point in the latest bonus episode where we like stopped recording for 24 hours and then came back and sent us the exact time stamp, I'll uh, give you Jacqueline's social security number. I really have my reservations <laughs> about this, but I, I'll i go along with it for the sake of the show. <laughs> this was on you for uh, when I just DM'd you saying, hey, what's your social security number? Sending it to me. I, I trust really, you fully. <laughs> For five dollars a month, you can get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Simcoe, I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye.
Riley. Yeah, Andrew. Do you want to make a podcast ad? I do, but what would we mention? So I think that we could probably put together an ad for a show called The Podcast Minds. Uh. There, but for the grace of pod, go we. You know, it's a podcast where we both pitch each other podcast ideas instead of doing one ourselves. Yeah, it's a podcast pilot pitching project. Totally. It's We should mention that it's a comedy show, right? Where we throw out ideas like getting weirdly deep into the themes of Jumanji. Is that one a podcast? No, no. Uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a podcast idea that is actually a front for me to talk to you about hyperfixations I got. Oh, that's uh, most of the things that you hit me with. Uh, what about instead if we just talked about all the different ways you could do a rewatch of Lost? Oh, that sounds like you just did what I did, but <laughs> you said it in a positive voice. Okay, and along the way, what if we pitched ideas like, I don't know, Epic Rap Battles of Mystery, the Lin-Manuel Miranda podcast? Listen to the podcast minds. There before the grace of pod, go we on your podcatcher of choice on the Moonshot Network. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Every Friday. 